Good morning everyone. Our reading today comes from Acts chapter 2 and we're starting at verse 1. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now with their staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. We'll now drop down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. And I'm sure the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you. Good morning to each of you. It's a pleasure and a privilege to share God's word. Thank you for inviting me into your home. We may be in some form of lockdown, but as a church, we're, we're not shut down. The church is alive. The church is still active. In fact, NCBC may be even more active in different ways since the start of this pandemic. I wonder if I could begin by asking you a simple question. What comes to mind when you think of the word power? Maybe you think of nuclear power, electrical power, solar power, tidal power. Some of you may even think of mathematical power. 
This morning, we're going to look at spiritual power. The power and energy that we all need to live lives for Jesus Christ. We're continuing our series Forward in Faith. Today, as you know, is Pentecost Sunday. And my theme today is power to the people. John Stott, the Christian author and teacher, now with the Lord, said this about the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There could be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Pentecost occurred 50 days after the Jewish Passover Sabbath. And on this day, the lives of 120 people were totally transformed. They would never be the same again. And by the end of the day, another 3,000 people would undergo radical transformation as they committed themselves to move forward in faith by choosing to follow Jesus Christ. What was it that changed those 120 believers from being a group of frightened individuals into a fearless body of disciples, wholly dedicated to sharing their faith? Well, of course it was the Holy Spirit. He made the world of difference to them and they eventually made a difference to the world. They turned the then known world upside down. Well, maybe that should be the right way up. Now we sometimes forget that the early church had none of the advantages we think of as being so important today. There were no buildings, of course, there was a temple. There were no church programs, spiritual retreats, or uh, training seminars, but they had one vital ingredient which we so often seem to lack today, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in each of their lives. There were people who were ignited, energized, and equipped by God's Spirit. Their Christian lives took off in a new direction, they became God's agents for transforming society. I'd like to tackle three questions this morning. Question number one, what happened before Pentecost? Secondly, what happened at Pentecost? And finally, what does it mean for us today? Let's look at what happened before Pentecost. The believers were told to wait for the Spirit, a reminder that there are times when we need to be patient and wait. In Acts 1 verse 1, Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus' work on earth was drawing to a close. He was about to hand over the baton to his followers. So he gives them very clear, explicit 
instructions. Acts 1 verse 4 we read, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then in Luke 24 verse 49, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. The Greek word translated stay actually means to sit. It's a word used of a dog sitting by the side of its master, waiting for the next command. Jesus told his disciples to wait, and that's exactly what they did. And during that 10 days since Jesus had ascended back into heaven, they were waiting on God, engaged in prayer, engaged in praise, together, united in wanting to see God at work, waiting expectantly for what God was going to do among them. Here's the key truth. They needed to wait for God's timing to sit and spend time tuning into God's presence. Isn't that what Mark talked about last week as we looked at the subject of meditation, spending time tuning in to the presence of God? I wonder if you find waiting difficult. I have to admit, I do. I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a very patient person. There was a time when we went to a supermarket, did our shopping and waited in the queue for the checkout. Now we spend time outside the supermarket, waited to be invited in. Perhaps you're waiting perhaps for a package to arrive. Maybe you're waiting for test results. We're all waiting for this pandemic to be over and we can get back to some sort of new normal. Of course, we're also waiting for a new minister to be appointed. Perhaps you're waiting for your life to change. Maybe you feel your Christian life hasn't really taken off. You know there's so much more to experience. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're waiting for God to do something special before you can commit to following Jesus. Now, some have built a doctrine on waiting or tarrying for the Spirit. Not a position I personally hold to, others may disagree. But Pentecost is a one off event, never ever to be repeated. The death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the initial gift of the Holy Spirit happened once and for all. So there will be a time to work and a time to witness, but this was a time to wait, to spend that extended time in the presence of God. Remember, these disciples, these believers, didn't know exactly when the Spirit would come, and they certainly didn't know how and in what form he would come. They were told to wait for the Spirit. They were told they would receive power to witness. Acts 1 and verse 8, 
Luke writes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power. Initially, that power would be for witness. The power they needed wasn't political or, or military power to kick out the Romans, but a spiritual power through the coming and filling of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Spirit would turn ordinary people into extraordinary people, people who do extraordinary things. Holy Spirit wasn't a luxury. He was an actual absolute necessity. And Jesus, I think, is essentially saying, don't rush off into the world without the power. You've got the message, but you need the power. The word witness, Greek word, where we get the word martyr from. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my martyrs. For many people today, witnessing to the saving power of Christ will actually cost them their lives. We've been given a message of love, of joy, of hope, of forgiveness. A message of God's rescue plan for humanity. A message that doesn't just educate or inform. A message that transforms people's lives. And this message has eternal significance. It'll impact the eternal destiny of everyone. More important than any job or achievement or goal that you or I will attain during our time on this earth. Sharing with others how they can receive forgiveness, peace with God and eternal life is the greatest message we can communicate to another human being. On a personal level, it means that people are not okay just because they're nice people. I know a lot of nice people who are not Christians. In fact, some of them are nicer than I feel I am myself. No matter how nice people are, no matter how contented and successful people may appear to be, if they don't know Jesus as their saviour and their leader, they're without Christ. They're without hope, heading for a lost eternity. You see, the Great Commission isn't an optional extra. It's so, it isn't something for the fanatic. It's part of the normal Christian life. If you're a follower of Jesus, your mission is mandatory. Now, not every Christian has the gift of evangelism, of evangelist. Evangelists uh, are those often who, who reap where others have sown. It gives me an opportunity to say that I'd love to speak about the gifts of the Spirit, but uh, I don't think time is going to allow that. Suffice it to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you do, are you using that spiritual gift in the service of God? So that's what happened before Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? Well, the Spirit came in power. Acts 2 verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit came just as Jesus had promised and they heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. They spoke in new languages that they'd never ever learned. The room was filled and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Three signs that accompanied the coming of the Spirit. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind. The word for wind is pneuma. A word for air, for breath. God was breathing new life into these disciples. He wants to breathe new life into each of us. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire, a symbol of purity. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Many of these were not educated people. They were speaking in languages that they had never, ever been taught. And the noise then draws a crowd, and we read in verse 5, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Honour all these men who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? We hear them in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Isn't this just like God? Isn't this just like a God whose timing is absolutely perfection? To pour out the Spirit on a day when the Jewish Passover worshippers were visiting Jerusalem from 12 nations and had stayed on for the festival of Pentecost? God's timing is perfect. While we were considering waiting, we need to be reminded that God is sovereign. We may need to wait for a week, for a month, for a year, but God's will will prevail. That's what happened at Pentecost, but what do the events of Pentecost mean for us here today? How do we interpret these events at NCBC? First of all, I think we need to separate the, the incidentals from the essentials. I want to remind us that the book of Acts is descriptive, it is not prescriptive. It isn't and never was intended to be a teaching book. It is a history book of God's dealing with those first century believers. The narrative describes what happened. It doesn't prescribe or command exactly how we should live as followers of Jesus Christ. Does Acts teach that all believers should speak in tongues? No, I don't believe it does. Does Acts teach 
how each church should be structured and organized. No, there's variety. Does Acts teach us that there is just one model for church leadership? No, of course it doesn't. So it's vitally important we don't use the, the descriptive narrative in Acts as a template for the way that we do church today. We need to separate the incidentals from the essentials. Secondly, we need to just remind ourselves briefly that the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. Right at the very beginning, the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters. The earth was formless and void. It was empty. And the Holy Spirit filled that emptiness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Maybe we feel empty, we feel void. The Spirit of God wants to fill us with all the good things of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain people at certain times for specific purposes. But now the Holy Spirit would dwell within people and not just come upon them. His presence would be permanent and not temporary. The moment a person trusts Jesus Christ is born again of the Holy Spirit, that person receives the Spirit of God and needs to be filled with the Spirit from the outset. The Holy Spirit isn't a doctrine to be learned, but something to be continually experienced. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Dwight L. Moody was once asked why he continued to urge Christians to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit. Well, he said, I need a uh, continuing infilling because I leak pointed to a water tank which had sprung a leak. He said, I'm like that. Some questions I need to ask myself. Why am I not a more loving person? Why am I not a more patient person? Because I leak. I need to be filled with the Spirit. Why am I not a more joyful Person, a more peaceful person, a more self-controlled person, because I leak. And I need that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Peter, as we read in Acts, then preaches a message in the power of the Spirit of God. Yeah, Peter, the same Peter that denied the Lord three times, was restored by Jesus, now stands up and preached a bold message. It was a, a punchy message. It was a powerful message. It was a persuasive message because it was delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a message that centered on the person of Jesus Christ. How did Peter's hearers react after they'd listened to what he said? Well, in verse 37 we read, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? How does Peter respond? It's okay, guys, just carry on the way you are. Just do your best. Just make sure that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and you'll be fine. No, of course he didn't. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who received his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Powerful message. A message where the Holy Spirit convicted people of their sin, convinced them that they needed to trust in a Savior. And maybe you are not yet a believer. Could I ask you, what is it that's stopping you from putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ? Ask him for forgiveness. What is it that's stopping you? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'll fall flat on my face. My friend, the reason God has given us his Holy Spirit is so that we are not alone. We don't live the Christian life in our own strength. We live it with the power of the Spirit at work within us. A power that enables us to stand up for Jesus, to speak up for Jesus, to go against the flow in society. I'm drawing to a close, but I'd like just to share a personal experience from a number of years ago. I was taking a break in Swansea and Julie's sister mentioned that there were some churches meeting together. They were from around the Swansea area. They were meeting together. And she said that God was doing some wonderful, some miraculous things. I was intrigued. I wanted to investigate. So one evening uh, I attended uh, the meeting, which happened to be in the grammar school uh, where I had studied. Can't remember a thing that the preacher said. But towards the end, people were invited to be prayed for so that they'd receive a fresh infilling of the Spirit. I was hesitant. I waited. And I waited. Then I spied a guy who was an elder of a brethren church that we had attended. I walked across to him and he said, what took you so long? I've been expecting you. And he prayed for me. Can't remember exactly what he prayed. What I do remember is that I found myself prostrate on the floor, hands outstretched, receiving the love of God, receiving the peace of God, the joy of God. I don't know how long I was there, but it was an experience I'll never forget. Overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit of God, I could have stayed there for ages. That was my experience. It won't necessarily be your experience because God deals with us as individuals. 
As I was preparing, I was reminded of the uh, lovely story about the, the woman who lived in a remote valley uh, in Wales. She was persuaded to have electricity installed. After a few months, the meter reader arrived and discovered her usage of electricity was, it was minuscule. He said to her, don't you use electricity? Oh yes, she said, I turn it on every night to light my lamps and then I turn it off again. Just like that lady, we have the power available. We don't always tap into it. Here's the question. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from NCBC for one week, would we notice the difference? We'll only have a Spirit-filled church when as individuals you are filled with the Spirit. Luke writes, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to the children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't be afraid. Ask in faith. Receive by faith. Don't limit God. At Pentecost, God poured out the Holy Spirit on those first century disciples. He gave power to the people. And that same Holy Spirit is available to us today. Let's ensure that we take advantage of this wonderful gift, that we receive it, that we're filled every day with the Spirit of God. Amen.